Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. It's Friday the 7th of October 2022. Coming up on today's show, going to be looking at videos of JP Sears showing a video of um, someone running for Arizona governor, Carrie Lake, and what she said to CNN, which made me laugh. Looking at Dr. John Campbell, listening to him, I should say. I'll be looking at it, watching it on the laptop. You'll be listening on audio of Dr. John Campbell talking about excess deaths in Europe. Neil Oliver talking about the bigger picture, which will include, uh, by the looks of it, possibly, if we continue to have uh, war on Russia and the war on Russia escalates between them and Ukraine, what that could look like in the fallout for Europe in terms of their energy distribution and supply and what rolling blackouts could look like here in the UK just my own personal opinion but we're going to be looking at the legislation from the UK government passed about 10 years ago and I'll be reading that out on what their plan is for such an eventuality and what my opinion would be um, completely uninformed opinion on what that could actually translate to looking like for the everyday person on the street so Let's go first of all to Neil Oliver. And I should say, uh, all the videos I'll be playing from today are from YouTube or from clips that are sent to my Beyond the News Telegram group. I own no copyright on any of them. And if anyone does have a problem with me playing any of the footage from YouTube, let me know at beyondthenews at protonmail.com and I shall remove them without question because I don't like to be a bother to anybody. And I make no money from this podcast. So let's get straight into it with Neil Oliver, shall we? And him, um, this video is, it's hard to tell yourself you've been taken for a fall, but open your eyes. It was first uploaded on August the 14th. Now I can't remember whether I went to open this link before under a previous guise and couldn't open it or whether I just lost the link and it resurfaced again because I did try to remember oh that's got to be on my list of things to play in August but for whatever reason never got aired so here it is now. Neil Oliver this is uh, uploaded on the GB News channel. It's hard to think the unthinkable but there comes a time when there's nothing else for it People raised to trust the powers that be, who have assumed, like I once did, that the state, regardless of its political flavour at any given moment, is essentially benevolent and well-meaning, will naturally try and keep that assumption of benevolence in mind when trying to make sense of what's going on around them. People like us, you and me, raised in the understanding that we are free, that we have inalienable rights, and that the institutions of this country have our best interests at heart, We'll tend to tie ourselves in knots rather than contemplate the idea those authorities might actually be working against us now. I took that thought of benevolent, well-meaning authority for granted for most of my life. God help me. Not to put too fine a point on it, I was as gullible as the next chump. A couple of years ago, however, I began to think the unthinkable. And with every passing day, it becomes more and more obvious to me that we are no longer being treated as individuals entitled to try and make the most of our lives, but as a barn full of battery hens, just another product to be bought and sold, sold down the river. Let me put it another way. If you've been driving yourself almost demented in an effort to think the best of those in charge, those in senior positions in government, those in charge of the great institutions of state, those running the big corporations, but finding it increasingly impossible to do so, then the solution to the problem might be to turn your point of view through 180 degrees and accept, however unwillingly that we are, how best to put this, being taken for a ride. When you find a stranger's hand on your wallet, in the inside pocket of your jacket, rather than trying to persuade yourself he's only making sure it doesn't fall out, it might be more straightforward to draw the conclusion you're in the process of being robbed. Once the scales fall from a person's eyes, the resultant clarity of sight is briefly overwhelming. Or it's like being handed a skeleton key that opens every locked door, or access to a Rosetta Stone that translates every word into a language instantly understood. Take the energy crisis. If you felt the blood drain from your face at the prospect of bills rising from hundreds to several thousands of pounds while reading about energy companies doubling their profits overnight, while being commanded to subsidise so-called renewables that are anything but green, 
while listening to this politician or that renew their vows to the ruinous fantasies of net zero and Agenda 2030, while knowing that the electricity for electric cars comes in the main and most reliably from fossil fuels, if you can't make sense of it all and just know that it adds up to a future in which you might have to choose between eating and heating, then treat yourself to the gift of understanding that the powers that be fully intend that we should have less heat and less fuel, and that in the planned future only the rich will have cars anyway. The plan is not to fix it, the plan is to break it and leave it broken. If you struggle to think the best of the world's richest, vacuous, self-obsessed A-list celebrities among them, endlessly circling the planet on private jets and super yachts so as to attend get-togethers where they might pontificate to us lowly proles about how we must give up our cars and occasional holiday flights, even meet on the dinner table. If you wonder how they have the unmitigated gall, then isn't it easier simply to accept that their honestly declared and advertised intention is that their luxurious and pampered lives will continue as before while we are left hungry, cold and mostly unwashed in our unheated homes. Here's the thing. If any leader or celeb honestly meant a word of their sermons about CO2 and the rest, then they would obviously lead by example. They would be first of all of us, willingly giving up international travel altogether. They would downsize to modest homes warmed by heat pumps. They would eschew all energy but that from the sun and the wind. They would eat with relish bugs and plants. They would resort to walking, bicycles and public transport. If net zero and the rest was about the good of the planet and not about clearing the skies and the beaches of scum like us, don't you think those sainted politicians and A-listers would be lighting the way for us by their own example? If the way of life they preach us was worth living, wouldn't they be living it already? Perhaps you heard Bill Gates say private jets are his guilty pleasure. And how about food, and more particularly the predicted shortage of it? The suits and CEOs blame it all on Vladimir Putin, but if the countries of the world are truly running out of food, why is our government offering farmers hundreds of thousands of pounds to get out of the industry and sell their land to transnational corporations for use or disuse unknown? Why aren't we as a society doing what our parents and grandparents did during World War II and digging for victory? Why is the government intent on turning a third of our fertile soil over to rewilding schemes that make life better only for the beavers? Why aren't we looking across the North Sea towards the Netherlands? where a WEF-infected administration is bullying farmers off their land altogether, forcing them to cull half the national herd. Those Dutch farmers are among the most productive and knowledgeable in the world, holding in their heads and hands the answers to all manner of questions about how best to produce food, and yet their government is so intent on scaring them out of the business that a teenage boy in a tractor, taking part in a protest to defend ancient rights and traditions, was fired on by police. Why do you think it matters so much to the government of the second most productive population of farmers in the world to gut and fillet that industry? Why? Why have similar protests in countries all across Europe and the wider world been largely ignored by the mainstream media, a media that would have crawled on its hands and knees over broken glass just to report on a BLM protester opening a bag of non-binary crisps? Why the silence on the attack on farming and while we're on the subject of farmland ownership, why is computer salesman Bill Gates buying so much farmland in the US, more than a quarter of a million acres in 19 states at the last count, while simultaneously promoting the production and sale of fake meat? And why have so many small planes crashed into massive food processing plants in the US, sparking fires and thereby hobbling the production and distribution of yet more of the very stuff of life? Why is this happening to farmers and farming? all across the hitherto developed world? Isn't the simple, obvious answer the answer that makes most sense and that is staring us in our trusting faces that power for the power-hungry has always rested most effectively upon control of food and its supply? Why are the powers that be attributing this to a cost-of-living crisis when everyone with two brain cells to rub together can see it's a cost-of-lockdown crisis, the inevitable consequence of shutting down the whole country, indeed the whole world, for the best part of two years, Soaring inflation, rising interest rates, disrupted supply chains. Might they be calling it a cost of living crisis as part of their barefaced attempt to distract us from the fact that while ordinary individuals face a life and death struggle in the coming months, the corporations have celebrated their share of the greatest transfer of wealth in history? Doesn't that seem more likely? 
However unthinkable, might it not be more compelling to ask why our government and governments around the world have effectively stood by and held the coats of huge corporations while those money magnets pulled almost all of the world's wealth into their already creaking coffers? Are our governments more interested in enabling, in aiding and abetting the rich than in lifting so much as a finger to protect our livelihoods, our ways of life? I'm only asking. What about the money in our pockets? Why is it getting harder and harder to use good old cash, notes and coins? Why are we being nudged further and further away from spending power we can see and hold and towards a digital alternative that exists only on the hard drives of the banks that run the world? Why is that, do you think? Rather than dismiss as yet another conspiracy theory the idea of cash being ultimately replaced with transactions based on the exchange of what amount to glorified food stamps that will only be accepted if our social credit score demonstrates that we've been obedient girls or boys. How about taking the leap and focusing on the blatantly obvious, that if we're not free to buy whatever and whenever we please, free of the surveillance and snooping of governments and the banks that run them, then we have absolutely no freedom at all. And while we're on the subject of money and banks, why not pause to notice something else that's glaringly obvious, which is to say that the currency of the West are teetering on the abyss and that one bank after another is revealed to those who are bothering to watch as being as close to bankruptcy as it's possible to be without actually falling over the edge. Then there's the so-called vaccines for COVID. I deliberately say so-called because by now it should be clear to all but the willfully blind that those injections do not work as advertised. You can still contract the virus, still transmit the virus, still get sick from the virus and still die of the virus. Denmark has dropped their use for under-18s. All across the world, every day, more evidence emerges, however grudgingly, however much the various complicit authorities and big pharma companies might hate to admit it, of countless deaths and injuries caused by those medical procedures. And yet here in Britain, and just about everywhere else, governments continue to try and get those needles into as many arms as possible, even the arms of the smallest and youngest. The ripe stink of corruption is everywhere. I trusted authority for most of my life. Now I ask myself on a daily basis how I ignored the stench for so long. Across the Atlantic, the Biden White House sent the FBI to raid the home of former President Donald Trump. Meanwhile, Joe Biden and his son, Hunter, he of the laptop full of the most appalling and incriminating content, fly together on Air Force One. No raids planned on the Obamas, nor on the Clintons. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi flew to Taiwan and onwards to China. Her son Paul, an investor in a Chinese tech firm and with seats on the board of companies dealing in lithium, was along for the ride into that part of the world where three quarters of the world's lithium batteries are made. Taiwan leads in that technology. It's hard to think the unthinkable. It's hard to think that all of it, all the misery, all the suffering of the past and to come might just be about money, greed and power. It's hard to tell yourself you've been taken for a fool and taken for a ride. It's hard, but the view from the other side is worth the effort and the pain. Open your eyes and see. Yeah, uh, well said. Although I've said before, I'm not necessarily a Trump fan um, on that one, but the rest of it quite good. So what does that look like if there are energy shortages in the UK? Um, So... This is a video of Claire Daly MEP that was put on the Telegram group. I have no idea who she is. I just did a quick Google check to see that, you know, the caption Claire Daly MEP is who it says it, it, she, she is. So I have no idea what she stood for in the past or anything like that. So it's entirely possible someone could send me a video. Hey, you played a clip of this MEP on your show. Do you know what she said in the past? And it could be something horrendous for all I know. But what she is talking here about is the war in Russia and Ukraine. And um, I think it's interesting what she says here. The war in Ukraine is quickly escalating into a wider horror. And from what I can see, practically nobody in this chamber is doing anything to prevent it. In fact, most people seem to get off on the fact that it's escalating. And at this precise moment, of course, as usual, the voices challenging the rush to war are attacked and silenced, smeared as traitors, cronies, Putin puppets, Kremlin stooges, Russian agents, 
Frankly, it's pathetic. And I don't make the comparison lightly, but the crudeness and cynicism of these slurs coming from mainstream EU parties might as well have been written by Hermann Goring, who infamously said that even though people never want war, they can be brought to war with threats and smears. He said, all you have to do, tell them they're being attacked, denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing their country to danger. It works the same every way. Where he led, you are following. This House should be ashamed of this debate. Words are being twisted, meaning subverted, and the truth turned on its head. Opposing the horrible madness of war is not anti-European. It's not anti-Ukrainian. It's not pro-Russian. It's common sense. The working class of Europe have nothing to gain from this war and everything to lose. And I find it laughable that those calling for arms to Ukraine never call for arms for the people of Palestine or for the people of Yemen. Unlike you, I oppose all war. I want it stopped. I make no apology for that and I'm not going to be scapegoated and labelled for it either. So, yeah, I'm an anti-war person myself and I think she made some interesting points which I'll touch upon she was talking about escalation let's possible consequences of that escalation could be uh, rolling blackouts and so I'm now going to read to you from uh, UK government's own um, it's called guidance preparing for and responding to emer energy emergencies and its URL is um, www.gov.uk forward slash guidance forward slash preparing for and responding to energy emergencies. So how BEIS has planned for emergencies potentially affecting oil, gas and electricity production supply and the civil nuclear establishment. So it says overview. Over recent years, the UK has had a strong, secure and resilient energy system, but there's no reason for complacency. The government accepts it can't completely remove the possibility of disruption to energy supplies caused by, for example, water-related hazards, accidents, malicious events or industrial action. By the way, this was published on the 22nd of January 2013 and last updated on the 23rd of February 2021. This guide gives an outline of the plans and resources available to tackle emergencies which have the potential to affect oil, gas and electricity production and supply and the civil nuclear establishment. The Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, BEIS, has a specific role and responsibilities in the event of an emergency. These are explained in detail. The guide also lists contact numbers for upstream incidents. Departmental responsibilities. Now, I'll just skip a little bit. BIS works with industry regulators, sector bodies and other stakeholders to maintain the resilience of the energy infrastructure, networks and assets to reduce vulnerabilities. It also maintains emergency response arrangements to reduce the impact in the event of disruption to gas, oil, electricity or oil and fuel supplies. I think that could come as a consequence of Ukraine, the escalation in Ukraine, in my humble opinion. Ensure recovery as soon as possible in the aftermath of such incident or emergency. We shall see if that happens. Because, like I've mentioned before, whether you believe that um, this is all Putin's fault and he's responding, or whether you think that this is uh, a greater chess game being played with Putin and Zelensky, both under Klaus Schwab's and other such WEF type people, whether you think there's a greater game being played and they're being manipulated by higher forces. And we've had Klaus Schwab said that Vladimir Putin went to his school, for example. And it's designed that way, as Neil Oliver related to, that it's designed to break the system for a variety of reasons that you can up to yourself. So regardless of whether you think it's either one of those um, possibilities, it's worth bearing in mind that these are consequences which could affect us regardless. So again, I'm not saying this is happening, I'm not panicking, uh, I'm not encouraging any other people to, to panic, I'm just suggesting we look perhaps at what, if we can see certain moves on the chessboard being made, what might the outcome of those movements be? If we can see certain actions being taken, what might the consequences of those actions be? So, um, and then talks about oil, which, um, other than I think OPEC this week said it was going to cut production a little bit, which will probably push up prices a bit. 
I'm going to skip that bit and go to the electricity thing, the, the words on that. There are numbers of actions we can take to minimise the impact in a gas and or electricity supply emergency. If a prolonged electricity shortage affects a specific region or the whole country, rationing may be necessary. The Electricity Supply Emergency Code outlines the process for ensuring fair distribution while protecting those who require special treatment. This is managed through a process known as rotor disconnections. BEIS works closely with industry to understand and plan for emergencies and regularly holds exercises to test the effectiveness of these plans. The National Emergency Plan for Downstream Gas and Electricity, um, those two things along with the Electricity Supply Code are both links that you can go and follow and do your own search to do further reading. I just want to give you an overview and then my opinion on it. Describes the national arrangements established by BEIS, the Downstream Gas Electricity Industry, the Office of Gas and Electricity Markets, uh, Ofgem, and the European Commission and other interested parties for the safe and effective management of both downstream gas and electricity supply emergencies. So, rotor disconnections. So I'm just going to talk to you about what that could potentially look like. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm just taking it at face value that, let's say, our electricity was um, switched off for various hours of the day and I'm not saying that this is going to happen I'm not saying that this is on those plans you can go and look for it for yourself I'm just talking about the hypothetical effects of what that could look like so first of all probably that would look like the stuff in your freezer going off wouldn't it and let's say it was done for certain hours of the day or, or night or something like that that would, yeah, that would mean less people are going to be buying frozen foods. And so that would look for an increase in more people going to foods other than frozen. Now, that would also affect the food supply. Just thinking for, you know, let's say they switched it off at night, for example, or something like that. That could affect bakers because bakers often do their baking at night so it's fresh in the shop for the morning so that would then have an impact on less um, baked products I've never been a baker so just giving you that I don't know what the term for it is there so that would then put an increased if you've got other things being taken out of you know less less demand for those products if the supply couldn't be maintained of the increase in demand for the other ones so let's say tin food chilled that for example then that would mean extra pressure on that and possibly shortages on that let's also look at you know things that need to run 24 hours like mail sorting offices you know there are a lot of people that work during the night um, or you know I'm not saying that the electricity is necessarily going to be cut off during those hours but there are there are industries that run 24 hours in order to keep the supply chain going is what I'm saying and if you get regular um, disconnections rotor disconnections to those places then that's going to be a problem and perhaps they won't cut the electricity to those places but just get the idea that there won't be it won't just be a case of you going, oh, I can't watch the TV during those hours of the day anymore or something like that. There is bound to be a knock-on effect to that in everyday human life. And I'm just giving ideas on what that could uh, potentially look like as well. So I'm just looking through my notes here. For, uh, that would also mean a uh, rush for the on-time. So let's say it was switched off and everyone knew it was going to come back on at a certain time again because it was a, um, a controlled disconnection, a rotor disconnection, then there would be a massive rush on the moment it comes back on. Everyone would want to charge their phones or... Well, you can get the idea, can't you? Now, if this was to continue and go into escalate into more wartime, let's listen, go more deeply into what Claire Daly had said there. I think it would be entirely possible that it would, instead of going from anti-war people being ridiculed to anti-war and being, you know, if you're anti-war, you must be pro-Putin. 
I think that that could escalate into further situations where it would say if you're pro-Putin, you're the and potential enemy of the state. And again, I'm just hypothesizing potential um, consequences for this. So that could um, that could look bad for for certain people who are questioning the you know the, the classic what she said there about um, you know right enemy is attacking us. If you're against our measures to respond, you're with the enemy. Basically, you know the old George Bush thing: you're either with the terrorists or you know, or you're with us, kind of thing. That that classic, uh, or to quote Obi Wan, you know, uh, only a Sith deals in absolutes, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So there could be potential consequences for that as well. Now, if people's humans are sociable animals, most I'm generally not, but there are those that. Uh, that do really like socialising and like to be entertained and that kind of stuff. So if they're not going to have a television or entertainment, I mean, let's face it, in the Western society, we're heavily reliant on being entertained um, in our, you know, using electrical devices, you know, Netflix, smartphones, YouTube, video games, DVDs. TVs, uh, that's just the ones off the top of my head. You know, they all require a working energy grid. And as we saw before, if people are isolated, then that can cause problems. So uh, we saw that during lockdown. So that would mean if people aren't entertained, it might see a greater gathering of people in the person. If the electricity in an area was off during, you know, let's say a six o'clock to midnight period, and again, that's not a prediction, I'm just talking about hypotheses, would this see a return to people going down the pub? And the pub probably wouldn't have electricity either, so would they be sitting around by candlelight? Um, do the uh, beer pumps require electricity? Or, or, you know, I can't remember, they run off gas, I think, don't they? So they may still work. But if not, they could have shots and um, shots and glasses of wine and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it probably wouldn't be kept cold, would it? So would that have an effect on it? Because the refrigeration supply would be switched off. But what I'm saying is it could have the potential for pubs to still remain open and sitting by candlelight. Would they be allowed to maintain opening? Because that would involve a lot of people coming together and there's bound to be one person in that pub that would be pointing out certain anti-war points of view what would that look like would that be you know would that be rolled into consequences beforehand uh, would there be people talking about the great reset would there be talk people talking about the things that uh, you know mainstream verifiable would they be talking about the points of view that Neil Oliver espoused earlier on this show? Because that would make for an interesting scenario, wouldn't it? Because without the television constantly giving them the government narrative, people would be talking amongst themselves, sharing their opinions and ideas again. That would lead for an interesting scenario. So that would be, if there was a certain agenda looking to be played out, that wouldn't fit that agenda so perhaps would the pubs not be allowed to be open would there be protests would there be curfews introduced for examples to stop public gatherings and protests and would those protests well yep it's not a peaceful protest is it it's a wartime and you're protesting against our leader which makes you pro-putin and you could see how that could potentially unfold that scenario there so again these aren't predictions they're not me getting to panic people I'm literally just exploring the possibilities of what this could look like and um, I may well be completely incorrect on uh, when I say incorrect I'm not predicting them so I can't be incorrect I may well be none of my hypotheses that I might be exploring may ever come to fruition that would be a better way because I'm not making predictions so I can't be correct or incorrect so I suppose I think I've 
I hope I've explained myself there, but I'm just exploring the potential possibilities of what, if this continues to escalate, what that could look like. Also, while I'm checking my notes, there was something I... It's far more light-hearted now. But um, I did my three-hour interview with Tony Risi and I was talking about pro wrestling and I think I used the words fake or something like that. Um, I'd like to expand on that. Um, the, the wrestlers are great athletes and they really do get injured. And um, the, the, the MMA stars that have gone into wrestling have all said they sustained far greater injuries from professional wrestling than MMA. So um, I'd like to retract the word fake and use the word um, controlled endings, um, narratives. You know, we know who's going to win or lose. Uh, or, you know, the person paying their wages knows who's going to win or lose. But I think the word fake was quite harsh. So, yeah, that bothers me from a couple of weeks ago, and I forgot to mention it last week. But I was just sort of off the cuff, and I used that to demonstrate the words. But anyway, don't worry, I haven't been sent any complaints by any professional wrestlers or anything. It's just something that I thought about it. I think I may have done them an injustice in the amount of um, hard work and um, damage that they do to their bodies and everything. And I just wanted to be a bit, bit nicer. So... Let's move on now to India today. Do not mi misrepresent facts. German journalist detained for reporting Ukraine's war crimes. German journalist Alina Lip said she was facing three years in prison in her home country for her reporting on crimes committed by Ukrainian forces against civilians. German journalist Alina Lip said she was facing three years in prison in her home country for her reporting on crimes committed by Ukrainian forces against civilians in the eastern Donbass region of the war-ravaged country. So that as much as I can read there. Moving on now. BRICS hold talks on reserve currency. Diplomat, this is Daily Telegraph of New Zealand. And it reads, the group is reportedly set to develop alternate alternative payment mechanisms to shift away from the US dollar and euro. The BRICS countries are working on establishing a new reserve currency to better serve the, their economic interests. Ambassador at large of Russia's foreign ministry, Pavel Karnazev, said this week, sorry, uh, Pavel, I've probably butchered your name there, my apologies. It will be based on a basket of currencies of the five-nation bloc. The possibility and prospects of setting up a single, of, of a common single currency based on the basket of currencies of the BRICS countries is being discussed. Karnazev said during a discussion about expanding BRICS and the Shanghai Cooperative Organisation. Again, worth looking at what that could have effects if the US dollar loses its status as the world's reserve currency, and that means it's used to purchase oil and all that kind of stuff. Well worth looking into what that could mean for central banks around the world printing money and that kind of stuff. Um, just going from memory, because I, so I had a look at this stuff 10 years ago, I think uh, Bretton Woods Agreement, apologies if I've got the wrong thing on that, but you could look into that as well if you wanted to know more on that. What is Web3? How the third iteration of... Oh, I should probably read out the... Give accreditation to who wrote that. Uh, that's oh, just that, that's October 3rd, 2022. That's the New Zealand one, and it's just by Daily Telegraph New Zealand. And India Today was written by Geeta Mohan, and that's July the 10th, 2022. Now, uh, what is Web3? How the third iteration of the World Wide Web would, will be more democratic, but also more risky, and could persuade more people to adopt cryptocurrencies and NFTs. This is by... Jonathan Chadwick for the Mail Online. The term Web3 is given to a new and upcoming phase of the World Wide Web. Some say it will shift the power balance from big tech companies like Google, but others believe it could compromise privacy due to a lack of governance. Here's Mail Online's guide to Web3 and what it might mean for internet users. So, according to experts, Web3 is a new stage of evolution of the web incorporating blockchains, digital currencies, non-fungible tokens, NFTs, don't even know what they are, and user-owned content. Some see Web3 as a fairer version of the web that's not dominated by big tech companies where users don't have to hand over their personal data. But others have concerns about the safety of Web3 due to issues around censorship, extremism, privacy and security, and the lack of governance. Whether Web3 is, has... I'll read that again. Whether Web3 is, has already arrived is up for debate. I've read as said 
ladies and gentlemen. Although cryptocurrencies, blockchain and NFTs already exist, they are yet to achieve mainstream adoption. Here, Mail Online guides you through all you need to know about the next phase of the web, including how it could change how you use the internet. So you can go and read that for yourself. I'm just going to give you a nice overview of articles and ask you to do your own research on that. But being the mail, you know what I like to do, is scroll down to best and worst rated. So let's see what the mail readers think of that. Scrolling down, where are we? Where's the comment section? I did see a moment ago, but the more adverts seem to have loaded. Ah, here we go. Best rated. Up 126, down 13. It will probably be taken over by the fascist left who will ensure that nobody speaks against their idiotic agenda. Um, that's fascist with an at symbol. Um, and that's by Jedi Master Yoda, unknown location, but in the United States three days ago. So um, pretty generic negative uh, comment there uh, from a Mail Online reader. Um, pretty. I, I was hoping for something a little bit more um well more productive and less finger pointing and hateful really uh wally sunderland united kingdom up 60 down one google and amazon will be already making their plans to take over new web 3 World Wide web okay i think that's a little more um rather than just painting a, a picture of an entire group of people i think that's a little bit more useful than the previous one. And let's have a look at the worst rated. Up 16, down 27. So that's uh, pretty reasonably close here. Don't buy cryptocurrencies, just buy Bitcoin. And if you know what I'm talking about, then you know. That's by Billy Bob somewhere in the United Kingdom. Um, I have no uh, thoughts on cryptocurrencies one way or the other. Um, I've heard some good stuff about them, I've heard some bad stuff about them. I do like supporting small businesses and I do like using cash generally. Although um, I had an interesting talk with a friend of mine about something and uh, we'll see if I get him on as a guest next week, which I'll give a platform to someone who's talking about this sort of stuff, but not an endorsement. I'm, you know, I'll just be giving you, hey, here's this idea that some people have come up with. It might be good, it might be bad, but I'll, that'll... I may have that as an interview next week. I may not. Who knows? We'll see what happens. It's always tricky interviewing guests and getting the timing right and everything. So this is worst rated. Up 42, down 13. That's interesting because that's quite, uh, that's quite a popular one here. That would imply that we've got a very small sample size. Let's have a look at this. Low number. Oh, well, there were only seven comments. That would be why then. Yes. Um, whenever you've got something like that, it would imply, yeah, small sample sizes. So only seven comments. Um, let's have a look. I think it comes down to data. The US is completely unreasonable monopoly over Internet data in the world to the point where you can't really call it the World Wide Web anymore. It's more like the World Wide US Web of America. The Internet should be for everyone, not the NSA and a handful of American mega companies. That's part of the reason why different jurisdictions like the EU have been trying to regulate American Internet giants. I like that. Rather than blame it all on America, I think the corporations and things are worldwide. So um, if you were to replace the word American with corporate there, I could I could really love all of that statement. So, yeah, that was an interesting one there. This is again from the Mail Online now. Smart meter display malfunction sends customers into a panic by showing prices up to £42,000 for one day's electricity usage as price rise kicks in. Well, there's nothing quite like switching it off so they can't have it at all to make them feel really, you know, well, we can afford to pay double now because we're using half as much, but it still costs us the same amount. You know, get that thought into people's heads. Uh, I don't care how much it costs, I just need the electricity back on. We've been out without it for hours. You know, those sorts of mentalities could occur on a, uh, what do they call it? Uh, disconnection rotation or rotor, something like that. Emily Brown, 32 of Nottingham, said her smart meter showed £42,670 spent. Hundreds of people in similar situations took to Twitter in a panic at the prices. One person said her 70-year-old parents' meter showed £41,000 had been spent. An OVO energy spokesperson said a, said a fix to the glitch would take place in 24 hours. 
So I'm not going to read out the article. I think that's just going to give it more details, but I think we've got the general idea of everything there. So I can now scroll down to the comment section here. Let's have a look. And it's got uh, 682 comments this time, so a reasonable sample size. So we should get some numbers out of this. Up 737, down 16. Smart meters, yeah, too smart. It's a tool energy companies are trying to get installed, but it's proven they aren't worth having, and energy companies could be playing around with pricing and bills. Ye old analog meters are more reliable and can be read e easily by a numpty. Yeah, I don't know whether they said proven, but um, I think looking into how much they use, how much they save, that kind of stuff, and... Um, what was it? The There was a common select committee on smart meters, which I played on my Beyond the News in the Radio Lewis days years ago, which I think could be very much worth listening to as well there. If it's still on YouTube. <laughs> so, oh, I'll get the second one here. Down here, let's have a little look. Um, up seven, 697, down 14. I spent years installing them, but made sure I never had one in my house because they can be a nightmare when they go wrong. My advice to anyone who hasn't got one is don't bother unless you want a real headache. All right. And worst rated. Up 9, down 96. Idiot boomers don't realise they are getting charged more by not having a smart meter. Ha ha. All right, again, he hasn't supplied any evidence for that. And same same answer that I'm going to give to the guy that completely disagreed with him earlier. Any other comment? You know, let's have a look at the evidence. Go and do your own research either way. Go and think, think for yourself. Do your own research for yourself. Up 15, down 54. I've actually got some R meters and they're really good. No more readings and know exactly what I'm using instantly. Brilliant. Okay. If he's happy, he's happy. That's fair enough. I'm a libertarian. I'm a live and let live kind of guy. If he's happy, good for him. Now, let's join a JP Sears video now. And this is about uh, CNN trying to bosh Ron, uh, bash <laughs> Ron DeSantis and Kerry Lake. So he's talking very much about uh, the Trump Mar-a-Lago thing. And, but he's talking about the language that they used. Again, I have, I've given my thoughts on that whole Trump situation. And they are just purely my thoughts uh, and opinions. And I'm not a Trump fan. Uh, I think he is the lesser of two rather than I think I use the word lesser of two evils I, I use the term lesser of two evils more as an analogy rather than calling them both evil a lesser of two parties I particularly neither care for I'm a political atheist really um, uh, on both sides of the Atlantic so lesser of two um, parties that are going to be kicking the working class again and again and again. That, that would be a phrase I'd rather use rather than actual evil. Um, so bear that in mind that I'm not, you know, uh, I'm a pro-Trump person. I'm not really. I'm just a really anti-government uh, corruption person and Biden seems to be really bad at that. And um, Trump's not great either, but I think Biden is... is there were more scandals involving that man than there, you know, with the Hunter Biden laptop and the the uh, the vote situation of how he came to power and the Clintons and the um, the scandals potential scandals involving them that always seem to follow them around Haiti and that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm a political atheist that is wary of the Democrats more than the the Trump things. But there's also some really good Republicans and they're saying some quite good things. And what Trump claims to stand for I'm all in favour of I just don't see him necessarily backing up his words and actions and he also said some terrible things that I disagree with as well but anyway that's uh, I just wanted to preface that that I'm not a Republican um, I'm a political atheist and um, but I think there's some good points here um, that I, I do like a lot of what DeSantos says and does not everything um, so this is him talking about the whole situation. But I just wanted to preface this, that I'm effectively, um, you know, a neutral person that is wary of one party more than the other. And anyway, let's get on to the video. 
it, it really disrespects people's thinking. Like, if you genuinely think Trump is bad, like, cool. But just this implication, we're using his name in an ominous tone, therefore, you should think he's bad. My opinion is complete disrespect of human intelligence, but it's one of their tactics used relentlessly. He's talking about CNN. East meets West in a show of a united Republican front. The headliner of this Arizona rally, Florida governor and possible 2024 hopeful Ron DeSantis. From the beaches of Florida to the deserts of Arizona, November 8th, 2022 is going to be the day that America fights back. I love Ron DeSantis. Period. To energize this Phoenix crowd, DeSantis turned his political fire to the news in his state. The FBI search of Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. No They're search. enforcing the law Great. based on who they like and who they don't like. That is not a republic. Well, maybe it's a banana republic when that happens. Echoed by Republican nominee for Arizona Governor Carrie Lake, heavy on grievance, light on facts. Heavy on grievance, light on facts, says CNN, who's like, they don't know how to spell the word fact. It's just weird how we live in an age where the, the establishment tells us we have to be protected from misinformation. It's misinformation to say she's heavy on grievance and light on facts. She acknowledges there's a huge border problem, there's a homeless problem, there's a tyrannical problem, there's election problem. She's very heavy on facts, in fact. And then these people sent politically motivated federal agents to President Donald Trump's home and raided it. How dare they? This is the first large political rally since the Mar-a-Lago search. How much does that affect? Just notice the relentless language, the Mar-a-Lago search. No one else is calling it that. It's a raid. Say it, CNN. It was a raid. They're like, no, we, we can't. George Soros's control over it. He's, he's at search. Republicans who are going to be voting this year in the midterms. Well, I hope it's a lot. I hope it ignites people, gets them out there, and they want to help support the Republican ticket. After what happened on Monday, we have to show our support for the president, the real president anyway. Here in Arizona, where Trump's 2020 election lie still thrives in a big swath. His lie still thrives. Just don't look at the evidence. Swath of the GOP. His endorsed candidate swept in the state's primary. His endorsed candidates are as bad as we say he is. Carrie Lake defeated a Republican backed by former Vice President Mike Pence and the establishment. The Republican she defeated that's backed by Mike Pence and the establishment, which by the way, is like the implication is uh, the opponent she defeated that's backed by the establishment. It's like that's implying the fact that the establishment backs her that's a good thing, not for people who know how to think and see that the establishment is the problem. That's what's sweating out the tyranny left and right. Let's hear. I'd just like to add that, yeah, that counts on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the Atlantic uh, for me. Um, the establishment is in all parties, um, you know, both in America and in the, uh, the United Kingdom, the big three. There's good and bad. There's establishment and there's anti-establishment in them all. And the ones with the power seem to be the establishment. So that's why I'm a political atheist. But there are some really good people in all the parties that I think, uh, both in Republicans, Democrats and Conservatives, Tories and Lib Dems, there's some good people in all of them, which is why I think there's such a push for centralised government So and, and centralised authority figures. So you can take the power away from those good people and, you know, keep it within the establishment, get that power base even smaller and concentrate that power so good and bad in uh, all groups i think or cnn the republican party isn't your great great grandfather's party anymore u.s senate candidate blake masters is also trump endorsed trump will be endorsed. arizona first and america first all the way the proof is in the primary say voters in this crowd that the more centrist arizona republican party of john mccain is gone. From what I understand, 
nobody likes John McCain. And they're it's like they're looking at it like the one good Republican that ever lived was John McCain. Where most real Republicans would say, no, 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 like he was not he he he's not a real Republican. We feel McCain is a total traitor. I believe he was a rhino. In this theater, party unity and its success in November is under the banner of Trump. Trump. Just that. how'd you say that again? Trump. Party unity and its success in November is under the banner of Trump. Yeah, so quick, simple, but we see some of their relentlessly used, most frequently used tactics of trying to smear good people. Now, on the political scene, I there's nobody, there's some people I hold in high regard, but honestly, nobody that I hold in higher regard than Ron DeSantis and Carrie Lake. So why is CNN smearing them with their shallow, shameless tactics? Because they're people who are based on truth and principles and a service mentality. Anybody like that, some would argue that Trump was like that. I think he. there's some things I don't agree with about him, but for the most part, I do believe he had a service mentality out for the greater good. So of course, those are the people that threaten the establishment the most. CNN is, they couldn't, there's no media that's more establishment-based than CNN. Which, by the way, <laughs> there's a video of Carrie Lake, well, I'll show it right now. There's this video of Carrie Lake absolutely owning a CNN reporter from earlier this summer. <laughs> Hi, Yuri. Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. It's been a while since you're You don't have a mask on anymore. Uh, What's we're, going we're on? We're outside. Aww. Give a wow. minute to well, chat. Well, we're six feet apart. <laughs> do you have a minute to chat? Um, I'll do an interview. Okay. As long as it airs on CNN Plus. Oh. Does that still exist? <laughs> yeah. I didn't think so because the people don't like what you guys are peddling, so, which is propaganda. Thank do you. you. One of the many reasons why I love Carrie Lake calls it like. So uh, that was that's why I wanted to play that clip. I thought that was. <laughs> Do you remember me talking about CNN Plus and its spectacular failure earlier in the year? I thought that was quite funny. So something that isn't funny now. Uh, we're going to finish the show off for the last um, eight, nine minutes. No, seven or eight minutes. Well, seven and a half now. I've waffled on about the time. Would be. Dr. John Campbell, and this is record excess deaths in Europe, September the 18th, 2022. I haven't watched this video yet. Um, I don't really need to with John Campbell because I, I trust his analysis, whether I agree with it or not. Um, and usually if he disagrees with me, I usually find myself going, oh, he's made some really good points there because I like to keep an open mind. And uh, he also doesn't swear, so I don't need to. Um, I know I'm not going to have to worry about the editing button. I'm not offended by... Um, bad language. I just like to do this podcast clean so it can reach as many people as possible. And if they swear, I have to edit. And I hate editing. So let's get on with Dr. John Campbell. This is a phenomenon all over the world at the moment. Well, a warm welcome to today's talk. It's Sunday, the 18th of September. Now we're looking at excess deaths today. This is a phenomenon all over the world at the moment. And what prompted me to do this is the European Union has just published data showing that deaths are 16% higher than we would expect. And the vast majority of these are not COVID deaths. So we've got a great increase in non-COVID deaths. So that's what we'll be looking at from the European Union. And we'll see that this is the case in many countries around the world. Now, the UK latest excess, uh, excess death data updated on the 16th of September, data for the week ending the 2nd of September. 350 deaths involved COVID. That's, uh, it was 505 the week before, so that's continuing to go down, which is good news. Total number of deaths registered in the UK, just over 10,000, but 7.4% above the five-year average. More people are dying than we would expect. This, this equates to 706 excess deaths in the United Kingdom. And deaths involving COVID-19 account for 3.4% of all excess deaths. So we see there's a large number of excess deaths that cannot be attributed to COVID. What is causing these deaths? And uh, we're not really seeing that much discussion of this. That's why I'm very keen to keep this topic uh, in people's minds, because we really do need answers on this one. 
Now, this is excess mortality here. Now, I know I know you won't be able to see this very well um, at all, but um, I'm going to blow it up for you. But it shows Mexico's worst. But the, the, these accumulative uh, excess deaths, of course, um, most of these are COVID. And if I just show you the order of uh, COVID uh, or total excess deaths, many of which are COVID, as we've said, is here. Mexico did very badly in the pandemic. Then the United States, Italy, Greece, Spain, United Kingdom, Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. So that's total excess deaths, uh, many of which are COVID. But if we look at the deaths that are current at the moment, most of these are not. The vast majority of these, as we've seen, are not COVID deaths. And here we see that figure, that these figures here. Um, so, for example, the United States is on about 12% at the moment. But again, we'll look at these in a bit of a blow up so we can see them in order. Ireland, the United Kingdom, Australia, the United States, New Zealand, Canada, all with uh, excess deaths, although the Canadian data is a bit uh, non-existent, actually, on uh, our world in data, at least. So the European report, excess mortality hits 16 percent, highest value in 2022 so far. This is from Eurostat, all, all the, all the data is there, dated, updated on the 16th of September. Data for July. Now, this is the graphic they give. So um, the, the, these darker coloured here, uh, the, these are the uh, 10 to 15 percent and the lighter coloured uh, lower percentages. Now, I know it's a bit hard to see the graph, so I'm going to kind of spill, uh, spell these out a bit. Just before we do that, we notice that these are excess deaths here. Now, we would expect these to be high because of the waves of the pandemic, but we wouldn't expect it to be high now. So we're seeing high levels of non-COVID deaths in the European Union as well as the UK. Now, here's the actual figures. It climbed to 16% in July 2022, all of the European Union. So very high excess deaths, 16% more than we would expect. Uh, now, in June, it was 7% higher, and in May, it was 7% higher. So now it's more than doubled. The excess deaths are going up. And um, let's hope this trend doesn't continue. We say, Of course, we don't know if it's going to continue or not. We hope it won't, but... We don't have data to give us a, a, an answer on that yet. Now, July additional deaths. Um, this increase of 16% in the European Union equals 53,000 additional deaths just in the month of July. So 53,000 additional people, more than we would expect. And not only that, the European data is very good because it's actually compared with uh, pre-pandemic levels. Um, between 2016 and 2019. So 16% above what we had at pre-pandemic levels for non-COVID related deaths at the moment. There's something really quite significant going on in the world here at the moment. So what are the factors? Well, uh, post-COVID infection, there could be complications of previous COVID infection, the sequelae. We know these exist, particularly thromboembolic sequelae. We know these complications exist. Post-lockdown effects, social, psychological, psychiatric effects, of course. Reluctance to access health during the pandemic, delayed diagnosis. And what we can't rule out in Europe as well, of course, is there's been significant heat waves. And we know that heat waves do increase um, overall deaths. So that is a factor as well in the European data and perhaps even in the UK data. So let's look at these figures now for specific European countries. Spain, 37% more deaths than we would expect in July, based on the average from 2016 to 2019. This is a very significant increase. And as we've said, the vast majority of these are non-COVID attributable deaths. Cyprus, I think it was about 35. I haven't put the figure in there. Greece, 31. Portugal, 28.8. Switzerland, 25.9%. Above the average that we would expect. Italy, 24.9%. Austria, 17. Slovenia, 16. Ireland, 16. Um, Germany, 15.2. Norway, 14.8. Netherlands, 14.7. Croatia, France, Estonia, Luxembourg. Uh, Denmark, 10.3% more deaths than we would expect and only the small Balkan country of, uh, not Balkan country, the small uh, Baltic country of, um, of uh, Latvia with um, actually lower deaths. So we're seeing huge numbers of excess deaths across Europe. This is not an isolated phenomena. Now, Europe doesn't really tell us much about the age groups, but the UK data does. 
So in the UK, 0 to 24s, this is the graphic here. Now, the dotted line here is what we would expect. Uh, the, the, dark, uh, the dark part there is COVID deaths. So this grey part is non-COVID deaths here. So we see an excess of non-COVID deaths in the 0 to 24-year-old age, age group. Now, thankfully, this line's fairly low. This level here is about 100 in this group, but we're still seeing excess deaths. Going on to the 25 to 49-year-old age group, well, again, we're seeing the figures above the dotted line. And this level here in the 25 to 49 is around about 400 uh, deaths per week at that level. But we're still seeing these excess deaths. Um, the 50 to 64, again, well above the dotted line. And here we see the grey is non-COVID, only the, uh, the yellowish colour there is COVID. And in, again, this line here represents around about 1,000 deaths uh, per week. And the 85 pluses, um, this line here represents about 4,500. So we do see there is a disproportionate amount of deaths in older people, of course. But again, we see it above the average line. Now, um, causes of non-COVID excess deaths have been given in the UK. Now, the causes of a disease or death, we can have proximal causes, which is like the... And that's where I'll leave it there. You can go and see the whole video for yourself if you want to explore the what Dr. John Campbell explains, uh, his take on the UK data there. Thanks very much for listening to Beyond the News this week.